Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hello again. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of Sports Tonight College Football. Hope you've enjoyed your holidays and are continuing to enjoy the holidays as the new year approaches. But college football takes no holidays. I even played on freaking Christmas for crying out loud. So uh, we are here to cover it and talk about it. And, of course, with me is my partner, Mike Lowe, the resident college football guru at Baltimore Sports and Life. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jim. I hope you and everybody out there had a very Merry Christmas and uh, looking forward to a Happy New Year. And uh, now we get to really dive into the meat of bowl season. Um, you know, we had a little bit of an appetizer, but I don't imagine most of the games we've seen up to now are ones that would uh, greatly appeal to the college football public. But uh, we're, we're getting into it now and uh, looking forward to going over some of these games. Well, absolutely. Let's get into it. And uh, I had a lovely holiday and uh, got to watch a smattering of football, you know, my choice. Got to, uh, my best friend survived the bitter cold in Baltimore to watch the Ravens clinch a playoff spot. And uh, we're excited to, uh, we're going to get uh, close to 60 degrees in Charlotte on Friday for the Duke Mayo Bowl. Excellent. Well, then, uh, hopefully, uh, Mike Loxley won't be too cold when he gets the mayo dumped on him. Hopefully not. Should should work out nicely. Um, but you're right. The big games are coming up, and the ones that we've spent all season building toward are finally upon us. So let's take them in chronological order. Uh, Michigan, TCU. You get you giving TCU much of a shot here, Mike? Uh, a little bit of a shot. Um, a little bit, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, they they can do some things offensively, uh, obviously. Uh, their, their offense is terrific, and it's designed to, you know, really uh, stretch your opponent's ability to defend the entire field. Um, in that regard, I give them a puncher's chance. Um the question is, you know, are they really going to be able to slow down Michigan's offense, even without Blake Corum, um, enough to really give their offense a chance? Um, you know, that's certainly less than a 50-50 proposition for me there. Um, but I, I do give TCU a chance. And so, you know, when we look at the uh, spread, the seven and a half points sounds about right to me. Um, you know, that's that's kind of where I, I might come down on either side of the fence, but I, I would probably, even in that regard, lead Michigan um, giving those points a little bit. What do you think about the physicality of, of the matchup? As we saw Michigan kind of beat up Ohio State in their last game. Yeah. Last and, game. Well, does TCU match up with them any better than Ohio State did physically? I don't know. No, I don't believe they do. Um, you know, you kind of look at what what was the last time we saw TCU, and that was against Kansas State. And, um, you know, Kansas State really ran the ball all over them pretty good in that Big 12 championship game. Um, and, again, even without Blake Corum, uh, you know, Michigan, you think, you know, they've certainly got the offensive line. Um, they've got Donovan Edwards still, and, you know, they certainly have the ability uh, to – really control that game against TCU's defense, I believe. And so, uh, you know, it's it's going to come down to, you know, maybe forcing a big turnover here for the Frogs, uh, you know, get a couple of those, and, you know, who knows maybe what can happen. Um, you got to think if this plays out like you expect it will on paper, it's going to be tough uh, for them to slow down Michigan's offense. And in turn, it'll be tough for their offense to really keep up. Right. Well, of course, the, the hope that DCU could hang on to is if they can stay close and they can get into the fourth quarter within a score 
that's where they've lived all year. They're very comfortable. They have, yeah. Michigan's that, had a certainly... couple of close games, but TCU, that's that's their whole season, practically. Uh, it is, they, yeah. They're they're certainly yeah. They're certainly not going to panic if they go and fall behind by a couple of touchdowns early. Um, you know, obviously they run a fast-paced offense that's designed to score quickly. So it's not that they have to really change who they are if they fall behind. Um, again, it's just a question. You know, Michigan almost, if they wanted to, has the ability to take the air out of the ball and limit their possessions. Now, they're certainly much more dynamic offensively. The Wolverines are than we've seen in previous years with JJ McCarthy and uh, you know a really terrific group of receivers. That's I've seen in Michigan in a long, long time. Um, so you know they can they can do that if they have to, but at the same time. If Michigan gets a decent lead, uh, you know they're they're the kind of team that can really put the pressure on TCU by limiting the possessions if they want to. Right. If it gets to a ten or fourteen point game, and Michigan can just keep pounding them, uh, TCU would be in a lot of trouble. I, I I believe so. Yes. Okay. Well, the other matchup we have is Ohio State and Georgia, and uh, Georgia right now is uh, a six and a half point favorite. Um, you know, and we talked well before the playoff bursts were announced where, that Ohio State might be the team that had the best shot at beating Georgia again in puncher's chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then they go and they lay that egg against Michigan, and it makes you wonder. You still got to give them the puncher's chance, but Mike, that six and a half looks kind of light to me. I, I can see that, and I, I, I would. Probably agree. I think uh, I would make make Georgia probably something closer to uh, you know eight to ten point favorite in this yeah. one. Um, you know, you you look at Georgia's defense. Um, you know, they don't get the accolades that last year's group did, but they were still number two in the country in scoring defense. They were in the top ten in yards per game surrendered. Um, so, you know, they're still good. We saw what they did. They shut down two elite offenses in Tennessee and Oregon, um, you know, pretty much gave them nothing. And, you know, Ohio State, I do think, has better playmakers on the offensive side of the ball than Tennessee and Oregon. Um, you know, maybe even a little bit better quarterback in terms of uh, throwing ability. But is it a better enough? I I have my doubts here. And, you know, I really think the bigger story of this game is going to come down to the other side of the ball um, and whether or not Ohio State's defense uh, can slow down Georgia's offense, which I don't think, you know, gets enough accolades, although, uh, you know, maybe they do with uh, Stetson Bennett, you know, getting the Heisman invite. Um, so maybe they are starting to, you know, recognize what they're capable of offensively. Um, I, Georgia can put up some points. And I have some concerns about Ohio State's defense, even though, you know, they rank kind of on the lower part of the top 10 and, you know, yards per game. And they were, they were up there, you know, in yards per play too, top 20, I think. Um, but you look at, you know, what they've done against some of the better offenses they've played. Um, yeah, they gave up 31 points to Penn State. They gave up 30 to Maryland and, you know, Michigan hung 45 on them. Um, you know, when you look at their schedule, those were among the better offenses that they played all season. And so does that give you a lot of confidence that they can slow Georgia down? Not me. It seems to me that Michigan is a pretty good comp to Georgia, uh, with Georgia probably being a little better in most areas so you know you mentioned what michigan did to ohio state it's not unreasonable to think uh georgia could lay that same thing on them again and uh that would make for an awfully long off season in columbus wouldn't it uh yeah it would certainly uh you know when you look at the talent and the expectations there um you know, if they go and just absolutely get their doors blown off by Georgia, similar to, you know, what happened to Michigan last season, um, you know, I think there was already going to be a lot of angst in Columbus after, you know, losing their second straight uh, to the Wolverines and, you know, this time being at home and this time, you know, 
in the same very similar matter where they got flattened. And then, you know, lo and behold, USC stumbles and they kind of back their way into the playoffs. So I think that maybe has temporarily soothed some things there. But um, if, you know, if they don't make a good showing here against Georgia, um, yeah, I, It'll be an interesting to see what goes on there, whether we see some more changes in the coaching staff. Um, I mean, I thought they made a great hire on defense when they brought in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. Um, and, you know, I, I think by most statistical measures, they are an improved defense this season over last season. Um, but it seems like at times, uh, you know, they just haven't, quite shown it to me against the better offenses and when it mattered most against Michigan they just got steamrolled well isn't it an interesting narrative that Ohio State's coming in with I don't really remember this with a college playoff team uh, since they've been doing it is they're really coming in looking for redemption and here they are in the playoffs which should be a celebration but that's the hazards of setting the bar as high as the Ohio State football program has, and that one stumble was the wrong team to stumble against. Right. And um, like if they get hammered again uh, on Friday, um, they're going to be uh, probably viewed as uh, what are they now? Um, eleven and one. They would probably be viewed as the worst eleven and two team in history, or something like that, <laughs> by their fans. Which of course, uh, you know, ninety percent of the other teams and the FBS would uh, probably give up uh, a non-vital organ to go 11 and 2. Sure. And, well, they'll uh, probably be looked at like, uh, you know, Oklahoma was looked at when they were making the college football playoff yeah. and, you know, just not coming close in the semifinal. They did come close that one year against Georgia, but, um, you know, the, hey, you know, great high-powered offense, the defense just doesn't quite get it done. Um, so, you know, what – where they go from here, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to write the obituary on them too soon because uh, you know. Again, I think you know of any team in the country, they might have the best puncher's chance against Georgia. Um, you know, maybe even more so than Michigan, I would think. So, you know, I don't want to speak too soon here. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll uh, have this discussion next week. Maybe we won't be, and we'll be talking about how they're uh, getting ready to be crowned champion. Who knows? Because if it clicks for Ohio State, they could put points up quicker than Georgia can match them. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, you know, we know they have the receivers. Um, we, you know, we know Stroud, when he's in a rhythm, he can do a lot of damage. I think it's really going to come down to them being able to run the ball, um, something not many teams can do against Georgia. Um, if they can do that. I, you know, I, I could see, I could see the upset here. Well, um, but again, but again, that, and, but they really do need their defense to step up um, more than they have recently. Really probably at any point this season, I think, uh, you know, most of their best games came against subpar offenses. Well, if Georgia gets out to a two touchdown lead and that defense can start pinning their ears back and coming after uh, CJ Stroud, it's going to be a long day for that young man. I would expect so. Yes. Well, uh, looking at some of the other bowl games, and, and uh, you know, I, I sent you a, a list of ones I wanted to talk about, and they were unintentionally the traditional New Year's Day bowls, although, uh, uh, you know, the Orange Bowl was being played on December 30th, which seems almost sacrilegious, but there we are, right? Um so uh, welcome, to, yeah. Welcome to present day, uh, you know, yeah. college football, and you know, you get weird things like this when uh, New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, which right. of course is the NFL's day, and they're not going to back off of that. Um, so Sunday belongs you know, to the Lord and the NFL, and hopefully in that order. But you know, probably in that order, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. Who maybe knows? That, it depends. Yeah, yeah it's up for yeah, some debate, yeah. I think. But uh, we do have a really interesting matchup in the Orange Bowl this year. Tennessee and Clemson. Now, of course, Tennessee is down Hendon Hooker. They're still a formidable offense. And uh, Clemson now with uh, with their new quarterback. Okay, uh, Clemson, yeah. There you go. Um, you know, so neither team is starting the quarterback that got them there, essentially. 
so that's an interesting dynamic to look at. What's your take on that game? It ought to be a high-scoring game, I figure, right? Uh, you would expect so, but, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm a fan of um, Joe Milton, who is uh, the backup for Tendon Hooker at Tennessee. Uh, he he had a rough game against Vanderbilt. I think he was only like uh, 10 of 20, 21 or something. I mean, you know, the result they stomped on him. So, I you know, maybe not. I don't want to read too much into that. Um, but he is, he's a good athlete, but a little bit, um, erratic, uh, as far as his decision-making, not very accurate. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Clemson's defense might be good enough to test him. Now, you know, these are the games here where we have to start looking and, uh, I actually have a, a page here, although I don't know how recently it's been updated website here that, uh, goes over the opt-outs. Um, either either the guy or opt-outs or uh, the guys that went in the transfer portal. Now, Clemson is going to be down uh, some important players on their defense. Um, you know, again, you know, Miles Murphy, uh, you know, he opted out. Um, and Xavier Thomas, he, he had an injury, but he won't be playing. Trenton Simpson opting out. Um, you know, there are some big names that aren't going to be on that Clemson defense that, uh, you know, is a pretty good defense. I just don't know that I see Tennessee really being able to exploit that, especially because, you know, they're missing some guys of their own. Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, the two receivers, uh, they won't be playing. Um, you know, a couple of their better defensive players, Jordan Phillips is not playing. So, you know, I, I think I lean Clemson in this game. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, Clemson already pretty much made the switch on their own in the quarterback department uh, to Klubnik, whereas, you know, Tennessee was more forced to make a switch due to injury. Um, I, I, I lean Clemson in this game. Okay. You make a pretty good case for it. Um, looking uh games on Saturday, the Sugar Bowl – Alabama and Kansas State, and Alabama is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, what are the chances, and we've seen this before from Alabama, when they don't make a playoff game, they kind of come out flat. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's rare that they're playing in a meaningless bowl game yeah. under Nick Saban, but we've seen before that, um, you know, they, they haven't really shown up uh, to play those games. Um, I think more recently they did, uh, I think it was uh, 2019, they played in the Sugar Bowl and, and did well against somebody. But in previous years, I got one year, I remember they just got absolutely blown out of the water yeah, that, that by Oklahoma. Yeah. And then uh, years before that, Utah beat them. Um, so, you know, I think, again, um, you know, Alabama, we haven't seen anybody opting out. I think everybody uh, is going to play. Now, they have lost um, – a good amount of players uh, to the transfer portal, um, particularly at the receiver spot. Uh, JoJo Earl and Treshawn Holden, who were two of their better receivers on the season, uh, both of them are in the portal, so they won't be playing. Um, I still think, you know, they, they've got Bryce Young. They've got, you know, Jameer Gibbs running. Um, yeah, they've got Will Anderson. Um, you know, most of their defense is going to be there. So... You know, I, I think when you look at the talent that Alabama is going to have available to them, they should win this game. What about uh, Alabama's ability to slow down Deuce Vaughn? Um, and that would seem to be Kansas State's ticket to win, is being able to control the ball and keeping Bryce Young off the field. Um, you're not buying that, are you? No. No, nah. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think if, if you're, if your MO is running the ball and, you know, we, we don't necessarily know what we're going to get from Kansas state as far as quarterback. Now, Will Howard, um, obviously has done quite well when he's filled in for Adrian Martinez and really, you know, he's the better passer. Uh, Martinez is much more of a dual threat. Um, you know, um, Adrian Martinez's status, he's not opting out. It's just he's a question mark due to injury. Um, 
with the layoff, you know, you would expect maybe he'll play and maybe it would be a situation where, you know, he goes in for a play here, play there, maybe a whole series. Um, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. Um, and I don't know that, you know, that's something that's really going to phase Alabama a great deal. I think they'll be ready for either one of those guys. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I think obviously, you know, for Kansas State, this is going to feel like a playoff game to them. Obviously, oh, sure. um, you. you know, I mean, winning the Big Twelve championship was huge for them, and um, you know, I, I think they'll kind of have the same approach going into this game. Alabama, it's just a question of you know whether they show up for this one, and as we've seen, and you know, not to say they weren't motivated to play in these games, but when you watch them play, the execution hasn't always matched the talent um, this past season and, yeah. and really, you know, even going back to the season before. So is this going to be the, you know, the mistake filled version, uh, you know, lots of penalties and stuff like that, that shows up or is Alabama going to show up, play a clean game like they're capable of, in which case they should win this one quite handily. Okay. Uh, one other of the, uh, the old, Standard bowl games, the granddaddy of them all, as they all, as uh, Pete Jackson always loved to say, the Rose Bowl, Penn State of Utah. That looks to me like that ought to be a really interesting game, Mike. I would expect so, and you know the the when you look on paper at these teams, you would expect this uh, low scoring, you know, kind of much more defensive oriented game. Um, I'm surprised, you know, Penn State doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot of love in this one. And I'm guessing, you know, people look at their losses and say, well, they only lost to Ohio State and Michigan, and both of those teams are in the playoff. But then you look at the rest of their schedule and you're like, well, who did they beat? You know, not a single team that they beat was ranked either currently or, or at the time. You know, their best win was probably the opener of the season at Purdue. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of question of, you know, just how good is that uh, 10 and 2 record for Penn State? And, you know, again, they do have some guys that um, aren't going to be playing in this one. And forgive me, I got to scroll down here for a second. Um, you know, they are without uh, their best receiver. They're without, you know, a couple of their key defensive players, uh, you know, Joey Porter Jr., he, he's not playing. He's off to the NFL. Um, so, you know, not a whole lot they're missing, but, you know, two important pieces there. Um, at the same time, Utah, you know, they're without their leading rusher, but they're kind of deep at the running back position. Dalton Kincaid, the tight end, who is their leading receiver, he won't be playing. And, you know, even now with Penn State being without their best receiver, Utah is also without their best cover corner, Clark Phillips. He won't be playing. Um, so, again, you know, even when you measure the guys that won't be playing, these look like two pretty even teams. Everybody seems to be leaning Utah in this one, from what I can tell. And I can understand that because I do think they have – um, in terms of the wins they, they, that they've um, put up, I think they have a little bit res better resume than Penn yeah. State there. Um, and, you know, Kyle Whittingham, his teams tend to play better late in the season than they do early in the season. That's always kind of been their tendency. Um, so I can kind of see, yeah, and it's not a huge uh, difference. I think it's only uh, Utah's only a two, maybe three and a half point favorite, two and a half point favorite half are the Utes. Um, so that's not huge. So I, you know, I can kind of go, go with that and say, uh, you know, this will be a close game and I can see Utah winning probably more likely. I'm just surprised that they're, you know, when I look around the landscape of, uh, you know, everybody picking this game, it seems to be, you know, people are coming in a lot heavier on Utah than I would have thought. Yeah. Well, uh, the other traditional game, I didn't mention the uh, Cotton Bowl. I just happened to notice something here as, as we're talking. I have the ESPN uh, sheet up in front of me. And one of the things that they feature on that, I don't really look at it very often, is they have a, uh, a ticket broker that advertises and says, you know, what the cheapest ticket is that you can buy on the secondary market for the game. And you look at the, you know, the playoff games and Ohio State of Georgia, their lowest ticket is $227. 
most of the non-playoff games are anywhere between 50 and 100. Then you look at the Cotton Bowl. Tickets as low as $6. I mean, come on, man. It's not that bad. A game is Tulane and Southern Cal. Uh, you know, Tulane is a, a You would think, uh, yeah, Tulane would get a good crowd there, you know. Yeah. They, so, New uh, Orleans isn't that far away, and, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, that's, know. that's a huge game for them. Yeah. So, uh, anybody wants, anybody in the uh, Dallas area that wants to get a cheap ticket for uh, Monday afternoon, it sounds like they're available for the Cotton Bowl. Maybe, maybe they're all worried they won't get home in time for Rose Bowl. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, well, that could be uh, you know the L.A. people. But anyway, I just I saw that and I was like, well, that's interesting. But uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't think I would have uh, put that. Yeah, I see that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the ESPN uh, page, the overall schedule of bowl games, and I, I do see that tickets as low as. Six dollars on this one. Yeah, if I were in the area, I'd drop in for six bucks. Sure, why not? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, I, I if you're looking for an upset, I I would say this is where you want to look. Um, I I get to a good shot here. This is just one of those where it just feels like USC is going to be kind of disappointed that this is you know where how things ended up for them. Um, you know, they got a couple of opt-outs. Jordan Addison won't be playing. And, you know, you also got to wonder, because last time we saw Caleb Williams, you know, he was kind of hobbling around in that um, Pac-12 championship game against Utah. So is he going to be fully healthy by then? I don't know. Let's hope so. Let's hope uh, he's ready to play. I oh, obviously, yeah. And um, But, you know, if he's not, then, you know, certainly that's something that would um, – you know, play in Tulane's favor. It's only a two-point spread. Um, you know, the USC is the favorite there. Uh, you know, if, if you're looking for an upset, this might be the one. Well, and, you know, I, I haven't uh, taken a lot of time to watch, uh, you know, the earlier bowl games. Um, I, I've caught a couple of them, but I, I sat down last night and actually got my wife interested in, in watching the game with me, the uh, East Carolina, uh, Coastal Carolina game. You know, which two interesting teams, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, um, uh, Grayson McCall was uh, at quarterback, even though he's in the portal. Bless his heart. So of course he gets a concussion, and and this uh, is the second half of the game. That's not yeah. exactly. Well, he had some injury issues this season. All right. Uh, so you know, everybody was giving him a lot of praise for playing, and then he doesn't even make it to halftime. And then they were trumpeting East Carolina, the uh, I think they were their second least penalized team or least penalized team in the nation. I forget which. And they went nuts. They got four personal foul calls on in that game. They had 125 yards in penalties. I'm like, what got them in such a foul mood? <laughs> terrible. I mean, just brutal cheap shots. Nobody got hurt from them, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's just like, how can you not throw the flag, you know? So I don't know why they were in such a foul, and they won fifty-three to twenty-nine. I think it was. So hopefully they cheered up after the game. It was just a weird <laughs> game. Uh, so it's like now a- I saw an, an interesting with the game I caught yesterday. It was um, Oklahoma State and Wisconsin, and what interested me about that because I don't think you see this very often. Luke Fickle actually was on the sideline coaching that game for Wisconsin. Yes. And now he he said that, you know, he was more just present and that, you know, the coordinators and the rest of the staff were the ones that really, uh, you know, put in the game plan. And, you know, he, he was just kind of the, the overall uh, game manager. But it, it just seemed uh, it struck me as a bit odd because, um, you know, I don't know that you I can't recall having seen a coach hired and then he actually coaches the bowl game. Usually, you know, you have whatever holdovers from the previous staff do that. Uh, so that was a little different for me. Yeah, I've always wondered, you know, why coaches didn't do that more often. I understand them respecting the other staff, but, you know, just, you know, kind of being a presence and, and soaking it in would seem to have some value. I, I kind of like that, especially. Yeah, he yeah. Wasn't trying it was, it, it was interesting. 
And the one, you know, the one nice uh, classy thing that Luke Fickle did, uh, you know, that, because Wisconsin won the game, so they got to go and, you know, do a trophy acceptance. And he said very few words and immediately called Jim Leonard, um, who was the interim, who who he won't be retaining. I do think he uh, Fickle offered him a position, and Jim Leonard decided he would rather move on. But he called Jim Leonard up, handed him the trophy, and, you know, said, look, this is the guy that really, you know, made all this happen and held this team together through, a, you know, a pretty challenging season. So he, you know, he wanted to be absolutely certain that Jim Leonard was recognized. And um, so I thought that was a classy thing on Luke Fickle's part. And and that seems to be what Luke Fickle is about. Everything we've yeah. seen is a yeah. pretty classy guy. So just another yeah. example. Now, uh, speaking of coaching, a uh, news item that came up yesterday that fascinated me and excited me a little bit, uh, and especially for our Baltimore Sports and Life followers, that Ed Reed is now going to be a head coach at Bethune-Cookman uh, College after he spent three years as like uh, some kind of nebulous advisor a, assistant. Sort of a yeah, advisory role at Miami. Yeah. Um, and I just can't wait to see what he does as a head coach. I. And I was talking to my best friend about that earlier today, and Ed Reed's one of my favorite all-time NFL players. Anyway, and favorite personalities. I've never seen anybody enjoy winning a championship any more than Ed Reed did in 2012. He had so much fun and obviously had a major contribution to it. So, you know, I, I just can't wait to see him, and I think he could wind up being what Dion could have been at Jackson State. You know, Dion had a, a big short-term impact. I just get the feeling Ed Reed, and, and maybe I'm wrong in, in E. Crow, but I just get the feeling Ed Reed could have a more significant long-term impact on his players and on that school and on that program. And I think it's just going to be fascinating and, and I, I think even exciting to watch to see uh, what he's going to be able to do because he's going to do it his way. He's not going to follow anybody else's footprint. He's got all sorts of different drummers in his head that other people can't really relate to. So what's your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I, I'm very fascinated to see how this works out. My, I mean, my thinking is, you know, you, you talk about the long-term impact uh, he could have. And I agree if he stays there long-term. Right. Now, I don't know, you know, if he would do that, if the opportunity came up, I, you know, if he has instant success there, he's going to start getting offers somewhere else. Um, it's just a question of, uh, you know, how committed is he to Bethune-Cookman to, you know, the, the um, you know, the HBCUs there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you know, we, we talk about Dion, who I know is a former Raven, and yet, you know, this... Uh, this um, past off season, we've seen two ex Ravens, uh, you know, get their first college head coaching jobs, and uh, Ed Reed and Trent Dilfer. So um, it's kind of interesting to uh, see. It feels like you know, sort of a trend where you have you know players that don't have much coaching background, but you know they kind of have that big name and. Um, you know, maybe that's people are thinking, well, maybe that's what, you know, the players who, you know, at least know what these guys did and, um, you know, they'll kind of be drawn to them. Um, Ed is certainly a very different personality than Deion Sanders yeah. is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he recruits, but he's, he's got all the same credentials as Dion does. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they were both immensely successful in college. They both you know, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl winners, um, you know, both of them were arguably the best players to ever play their position. Um, but still, you know, once again, very different personalities. Um, you know, I, Ed Reed is obviously much more low-key in, um, you know, how, how he goes about things. I'll just be really, you know, I would almost love it, though, if Ed did what Dion is doing and has the cameras all around him, because that would just be really fascinating to see oh, and yeah. get all that insight to see yeah. how he does it. And, you know, I, I don't know that he would go that way. Um, now that, that, but I'd almost yeah. like it if he, I would almost like it if he did, because I, I really I do want to see. I would watch that channel. I'll tell you right now, I would watch any video 
of Ed Reed. Um, and but you know he does not have that proclivity to promote himself, obviously like Deion Sanders has yeah. at a superhuman level. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be very interesting, and um, I think he's and, and probably already is because he's had some assistant coach experience already. Yeah, he did and, spend that season at Buffalo with Rex yeah, Ryan. I think he's going to be a tremendously effective teacher, and one of the things that I think outside of Baltimore. He didn't get nearly enough credit for is how well he understands the game and all of the work he did uh, in the film room, going over film, and none other than Bill Belichick gave him just a tremendous amount of respect back in those days um, when they did a football life on, on Belichick and they showed one of his uh, midweek meetings with Tom Brady. He said to mm -hmm. Brady, find Ed Reed. You've got to find where he is. Don't look for Ray Lewis, although obviously Ray was a great player. Find Ed Reed. That keys your defense. Mm -hmm. And the uh, reason Reed was able to freelance, as it looked like he was doing, is because he saw things other people didn't. And now he's going to have the opportunity to teach young players for that. And, boy, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm bubbling over excited about it. That's one of the coolest things I've seen. Kind of the anti-Dion to me. Um, so I, I hope it works out as, as well as I do. And yeah, I, I'd love to see him stick a camera in there. I, I yeah. would pay to watch Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Um, any uh, buzz in the uh, portal or uh, on the recruiting side that you think is worth mentioning this week, Mike? Well, sure, yeah. We, uh, we got some interesting news dropped yesterday, um, that being uh, Sam Hartman, yeah. the, um, the record-setting quarterback for Wake Forest, who um, you know, broke the record for all-time ACC leader in touchdown passes. And uh, he's, uh, he's in the portal, and uh, I don't think there's been any official word, but everything I see says uh, he's looking at Notre Dame. Um, that would certainly be a tremendous addition for Notre Dame if if he were to go there. Um, I mentioned an upgrade for Sam Hartman. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, that would be very very interesting. And um, you know, Notre Dame, of course, lost their starting quarterback, Drew Pine. He went to Arizona State. Um, you know, when we're talking about the you know transfer portal, we may as well. Let's just call it what it is, the quarterback shuffle, um, yeah, because more, really. than, more than anything, uh, you know, you just see the quarterbacks moving around. Um, yeah, that would be very interesting seeing Sam Hartman. And, of course, I got to mention, uh, you know, play up the local angle. Um, DJ Uyunglele left, uh, you know, we knew he was in the portal and um, chose Oregon State. And I was not nearly surprised by that, I think, as uh, some other people out here was. Um, a, a local writer out here, John Canzano, who I've mentioned on the show numerous yeah. times. He's, I've read some of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he he did a he published a piece on Oregon State. I think I forget if it was before or after they beat Florida in the Las Vegas Bowl. It might have been right after. And says, you know, really, if they want to go to the next level, well, Jonathan Smith, the coach, just needs to get a quarterback. And so I commented on that because we knew Uyunglele was in the like, keep your eye on DJ Uyunglele. And some of the replies I got were, that's wishful thinking. He'd never go to Oregon State, blah, 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 blah. And everybody seemed to think, ah, UCLA, he'll want to go to Chip Kelly. He's from Los Angeles. Yeah, forget. Nah, he'd never pick Oregon State. And lo and behold. There he is. What, and that, you know, talk about something that's interesting to watch now. Obviously, his, his uh, struggles at Clemson are well-documented. Wouldn't that be interesting if next year he figured it out under a different system with a different coach? Yeah, you know, I, my gut tells me he, he's somebody who maybe needed a change of scenery more than yeah. anything else. I think, uh, you know, he, he certainly had immense expectations at Clemson. Um he, you know, he's actually a pretty good runner, but he doesn't seem to want to do it that much. Um, you know, he, he's not a, I, I, I don't think he really embraces the read option, and that's not something he's going to have to do a lot of at Oregon State. They're a little bit more pro-style offense. Now, I do think they'll take advantage of his ability from time to time and have him, you know, pull and run the ball when the opportunity presents itself. Um 
But, you know, that that's not necessarily Oregon State's ethos either. So I think that's part of the reason why, he, uh, you know, he liked it there. It's certainly a little bit more low profile, certainly not the expectations of Clemson. They actually, uh, they're expected to return all five starters on their offensive line, who was a pretty good unit. Um, so, you know, certainly, uh, the protection should be there. Um, you would hope, uh, they're, um, starting running back or at least the guy that finished the season as the starting running back, Damian Martinez, uh, was the, uh, I think it was the PAC 12 freshman of the year. So, uh, they'll certainly have the running game to complement him. Um, you'd like to see him have a couple better receiver targets to throw to than uh, what he what he'll likely have. Um, you know, maybe that's something they can also find in the portal. Um, you know, I, I I think maybe maybe getting out of the spotlight that you know he was under at Clemson and um, you know a place like Oregon State could be pretty good for him. Yeah, that, that was just my bad. intuition, and and I you know I'm like I. That looks like a good match to me before it was announced. Yeah, and that when I heard it, that seemed to make a lot of sense to me too. And, and like you said, you know, get get out of spotlight a bit, but not so far that he's going to be lost. Because if you're playing in the Pac-12, you're going to get scouted. Sure. Oh, you're yeah. not going to lose track yeah. in the Pac-12. Exactly, and you know you're you're going to play, you know, in games that matter. Um, you'll play in some games that get some national TV attention, right. as far as you know the prime time slots. Um, you know, especially again, you know, Oregon State should be running back most of what they had this year, and you know the expectation is they'll they'll be a pretty good team again next year. And of course, you know they get to play in Colorado. So if nothing else, he'll get the <laughs> you know he'll get to go and get play uh, against Dion. You know, yeah. and you're you know you'll get a lot of attention then. Yeah, that, absolutely. Well, and are are they going to have the second half of the stadium open next year in Corvallis? Yes, yes, okay. they will. They'll have a whole yeah. stadium. That was, that, yeah, that was a one that was a one season deal as far okay. as the half stadium. Well, I, I'm glad I watched that Oregon game because that was just. Add that to the list of things I had not seen previously is, well, we got half the stadium closed, so we're going to pack you all in this side. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, and by the way, I want to give a, something I never thought I'd do on a football show. I want to give a shout out to Duke because they won the military bowl today, beat UCF. They are nine and four. So Coach Mike Echo, remember oh. that name. He um, that I'm name. trying to think, uh, you know, as, as, Maybe they've had some nine-win seasons before, but probably not very many. I think they've already had one under Spurrier back in the late yeah. 80s. Uh, but, yeah, they've been in. And maybe even David top. Cutcliffe maybe would have had one, but maybe. not very many. And I don't, I, I can't ever remember them winning 10 games. Yeah, they beat a pretty decent UCF team 30-13. to 13. Oh, that, so, That's yeah. impressive. That is so. Uh, yeah, for as awful as they were last year, and especially on defense. Um, gosh, that yeah, is, that's that's uh, that's definitely worthy of mention. Quite a quite a one season turnaround for that. So it's like, wow, and, and they didn't start out for, uh, well. They started out well, then they had a bit of a dip, but then they picked it back up again uh, later in the season. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's. Another problem for teams in the ACC, uh, apparently, uh, now they got to worry about Duke. And you just <laughs> don't think you have to do that when it's football season. You don't worry about them until after Thanksgiving. Who would have guessed? There you are. That's that kind of year. And you could almost argue that they were the best team in the triangle this year. Maybe. You, could, oh, you know, they they barely came up short, I think, against uh, North Carolina. Um, did they play NC State? Uh, I'm sure they did. I think NC State beat them, but I'm, I'm really not sure of that. But, you know, Duke is 9-4. Uh, uh, yes, Duke is 9-4. Carolina sits at 9-4 as we're recording this. Uh, they are playing Oregon tonight. Uh, so they could fall to nine and five, and uh, NC State. They is, get Maryland. Right, they get Maryland, and uh, they are sitting at eight and four. Yeah. So if Maryland pulls that out, they will have the best record of the triangle schools. Now you could have had a parlay on that at the start of the season <laughs> and cash that in fairly nicely right now. Absolutely. So, so there is one other, more game I want to 
Yeah, one more game I wanted to point out. I'll maybe get your thoughts on this. This one kind of interested me. And uh, that's uh, the the bowl formerly known as the, uh, it's the Gator Bowl, essentially, in Jacksonville. You got Notre Dame against South Carolina. Hmm. That, that game kind of interests me. And Notre Dame is only a two-point favorite in that, which a month ago would have seemed silly. Uh, South Carolina has been playing some pretty fierce ball here of late. They have, uh, and Spencer Rattler will play in the game. He hasn't announced his long-term plans, but he is going to play um, in the Gator Bowl. Right, and Notre Dame is down a quarter. Notre Dame, on the other hand, has lost Drew Pine uh, yeah. to the transfer portal, uh, so they'll probably be uh, – I think they're going back to Tyler Buckner, who um, you know was injured, but he's able to come back now. You know, I just because of momentum and because of the different weight – that game is going to carry because let's face it, Notre Dame and in the Gator Bowl, eh, yeah, that's nice, but whatever. Uh, but South Carolina winning the Gator Bowl, finishing nine and four, that's a big deal, and uh, they're going to have their their quarterback in place. I like South Carolina in that. I yeah. really do. I'd be a tight game. Okay, okay. I'd, I'd say South Carolina. You know. Um... Spencer Rattler, notwithstanding, did get hit a little bit harder with the with the portal and the opt outs um, than Notre Dame did. But you know, I, I I think that's an interesting game to me. For some reason, that one just kind of popped out at me as maybe an under the radar game that uh, I, you know, for me. Uh, you might have something there, Mike. Yeah, that'll be uh, right after the uh, Maryland NC State game. So yeah. let, let's finish with that since we are a, a Baltimore Sports and Life show. Uh, and Maryland is in a semi-decent bowl game for the first time in a while. Uh, I mean, I don't want to belittle the pinstripe bowl, but actually I do want to. Well, pinstripe bowl is the Rose Bowl of the East. Sure. <laughs> I knew you couldn't say that with a straight face. <laughs> hey, I'm not the only one who says that. but <laughs> Well, shame on whoever else is saying it. And apparently the reason why is because uh, they actually have something there um, along the, the padding on the walls acknowledging that Columbia University once played in the Rose Bowl. Really? I did not yeah. know that. Now, that was I, I think that's the reason why. Yeah. Yes, very long, very long. Was that probably the 30s? At least. Way back, yeah. Something yeah, that predates this boat, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we can't say that about many things no. these days, that unfortunately. One, that one comfortably predates us. Yes. Okay, NC State's going in a one-point favorite. Um, I I know that uh, they ought to have a good crowd because uh, tickets were not particularly easy to get, and nor was a room in that area. We're going down to Charlotte Thursday night. Um, Maryland's receiving core has been sent out a bit by opt-outs. Uh, NC State, obviously, they're... Uh, starting quarterback is down, uh, and, and he's transferred down and out as he is transferring out. Um, you know, I I think the NC State's defense, I still would give them the edge in this yeah. game. How about you? I, I, I do have to go with the um, NC State um, you know, just because of their defense. Um, you know, offensively, it's kind of interesting because, you know, they've been without Devin Leary for a little while now, but they're also – um, without Tim Beck, the offensive coordinator, he uh, who is now uh, taking over at Coastal Carolina, and um, you know it'll be uh, what Dave Doran called a collective effort as far as the offensive play going, which um, you know you always wonder right. what the deal with that is. And and yeah. one of the one of the people who will apparently be calling the plays is Joker Phillips, uh, the wide receiver coach, who as you know, it would have, uh, was um, Mike Loxley's offensive coordinator in his first year back in 2019. Um, I had forgotten that. I, I think of him as the former Kentucky head coach. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he spent he came to one Maryland season. after Kentucky, right? Yeah. One yeah. season, yeah, as the uh, offensive coordinator there. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a relatively close you know, maybe a little bit more defensive-oriented game, despite the fact that most people think of offense when they think of Maryland. Um, 
And, you know, of course, you know, Talia Tagovailoa was a little bit um, banged up at the end of the season. He will play. Um, I, I'm i guessing, you know, he'll be something close to full strength. We'll see about that. They do tend to be a little, you know, guarded with um, injury status, but he has at least had a month to uh, recover from yeah. the MCL sprain. Um, you know, I think uh, his ability to move around is going to be very important because, again, NC State's got a good defense. I think they'll probably try to come after him, especially with um, – a thinner, less experienced group of receivers to throw to. Um, you know, that, that seems to me, I think they're going to load up and go after him um, in terms of pass rush. And so, you know, he's always been relatively effective, um, you know, throwing out of the pocket and on the run. I think he's going to need to be um, in this game. And because of that, he's going to also need to be healthy. Right, and let's hope the end of the game healthy, too, because that yes. has also been a challenge. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's hope uh, Maryland just uh, puts up a good game. A win would be nice, eight wins, eight and five. You know, another That would certainly be nice. Moment. That would be progress from last season and, um, you know, some some good momentum heading into the 2023 season. Yep, seven and six last year, eight and five this year, uh, maybe nine and four um, next year. Nine and four, dare we dream. Dare we dream. <laughs> okay. Well, um, on that note, uh, we'll wrap up this episode of Sports Tonight College Football, brought to you by the good folks at Baltimore Sports and Life. And uh, you can catch Mike's uh, ponderings, predictions, and if they're really bad predictions, apologies. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will have my, uh, I will have my uh, more in-depth um expectations and predictions as far as the uh the two semifinal games uh that'll be up by friday and um but before we sign off i do want to wish you jim and everybody out there listening a very happy new year well thank you mike uh, to you and yours and also to all of our listeners uh hope you in, enjoy the uh football smorgasbord uh over new year's weekend and uh that 2023 is a happy, safe, healthy, and prosperous new year for you all. And we will talk to you next on the other side in 2023. Till then, take care, everyone. Bye.